You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Good day, everyone. I'm Reverend Vanita. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm so grateful to be here to continue our Cultivating and Letting Go uh, sermon series during this fifth week of Lent. I'm an alum of Syracuse University, and from time to time, they'll send newsletters about various things happening on campus. And recently, I received a newsletter whose, and one headline said, Unsung hero empowers others to blaze new paths. And next to the article is a woman from a particular department who was completely shocked that she was receiving an award during their Dr. Martin Luther King celebration. And she goes on to say, I didn't do anything special. I just do what I love to do. In another instance, I recently complimented a student on a wonderful flyer that they created. It was so nice and colorful, and I let the student know how much I appreciated them working on this flyer. And the student said it was nothing. I just put it together. In another instance, I was hosting an event one day, and one of the speakers was very, very fiery. They had the crowd revved up. And then it was my job to introduce the next person whose demeanor was quite different, Um, not as enthusiastic um, a speaker as the other um, speaker. However, they had something really powerful to say. But it was interesting when they came up, they said, oh, that person was a tough act to follow. And in reflecting on these very similar Uh, comments, I was thinking about a common theme, and this theme of sort of taking away from ourselves as people are attempting to compliment us and lift us up. And I began to think about myself and the many ways that I undervalue my skills and abilities when people compliment me, and how many times I've played things down when people have said really uplifting things. And during this Lenten season, it's something that I have been committed to focusing on. Yeah, I've given up some sweets (laughs) and a few other things. But during this Lenten season, I really wanted to focus on the many ways I take away from myself when people are attempting to lift me up. And it's funny because... In my desire to do this and my intention to be focused on this during these last few weeks, I've noticed it a lot in other people. So I was really inspired and encouraged to bring this sermon together based on some of the things that I've just been experiencing because I've wanted to be sensitive to this in my own life. Why do we do this? Some psychologists actually attribute this to a number of things. 
It could be related to past trauma, low self-esteem, self-worth, maybe believing you're not good enough, maybe trying to practice humility. It could, in some instances, be related to culture, because in some cultures, it's more appropriate to compliment younger children, and in other cultures, it's more appropriate to compliment and um, affirm people who are elders. In some instances, psychologists say that praise may be viewed as condescension rather than encouragement, which I found very interesting. Perhaps some could ask, Vinita, what's the big deal? Why are you talking about this today? Does it really matter? I feel like it does. The reality is so many people have been told what they cannot do that they hear it, they believe it, they internalize it, and it prevents them from moving forward with some of the things that God is giving them to do. It's actually becoming a self-critic where we allow those things to hold us down. And when we become this self-critic, it actually weakens who we are at the core. There's an author named Dr. Kristen Nefts, and she wrote a book entitled Self-Compassion. And it's interesting because author and researcher Brene Brown says that this is a transformative read. So in the book, Dr. Neff advocates for greater understanding and use of self-compassion to calm self-criticism and promote mental, physical, and emotional health. When we are self-critical, she explains, our stress level goes up. This floods our system with adrenaline and cortisol. And it's a double whammy because when we criticize ourselves, we are both the attacker and the attacked. This type of chronic stress can eventually lead to anxiety and depression, undermining our physical and emotional well being. During this Lent, we are talking about cultivating some things in our lives and letting some things go. We are in a season of spiritual gardening, of inviting God to unearth in us what lies fallow, what needs to be tended to, and what needs to die for new life to emerge. I believe that there could be new life in paying attention to some of these things as they manifest in our lives. Consider what it means to cultivate lavish love for ourselves and confidence with our God-given traits so that we can then extend compassion, understanding, and encouragement as we pursue unity and connectivity. How does this make you feel? It really calls for us to practice letting go of insecurity and all the things that would restrict us from living freely. All of the things that would prevent us from moving forward in our spiritual journeys. 
There's a very special story in the book of John in the 12th chapter, which highlights an experience Jesus has in Bethany while sharing a meal with his dear friends. Now, in the previous chapter, Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave, and the religious leaders are yet again frustrated with Jesus and all that Jesus is doing. And they're actually at this point, because we are very close to Jesus' arrest, they are plotting and planning to have Jesus arrest, arrested. So our text reads in this manner. Six days before the Passover, starting at verse 1, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So it's interesting, and I imagine this this scene um, could have been quite interesting, right? We have Lazarus, who's reclining with the other guests, and this was very customary. They would sort of lie on their sides while they would eat and fellowship and talk with each other. And I can only imagine what Lazarus has on his mind. He's probably like, what happened (laughs) a couple days ago? Was I really in the grave? You know, am I really sitting here with Jesus and our friends? And then there was Martha. She was all about hospitality. As we read in another passage of scripture, she was busy about serving, and it appears to us that this is what Martha liked to do. Very, very hospitable. And then you have Mary, who was always as we find somewhere very close to Jesus. And in this instance, something really powerful happens. We find Mary, once again, not necessarily focused on what her sister was doing or maybe, in fact, what some of the other women were doing, who knows, but not being relegated to a certain space, not being separated from the men, but doing what she felt she was called to do. She seemingly let go of cultural expectations to cultivate lavish love on Jesus. Her intentions were set. Her heart and her mind and her spirit were focused on Jesus. Our praise and worship team saying, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. That's an intention. That's a purpose. That's a focus. And here we have Mary being intent on touching Jesus. So she poured a very expensive essential oil with a very strong fragrance and a lasting smell on Jesus's feet, and she wiped it with her hair. What a scene. In this day and time, this was a bold move. But if she had allowed her maybe inner self-critic to overtake her, 
If she had allowed what other people may have thought about her, maybe the scenario would have turned out differently. Maybe the insecurity of what others would have thought or said would have demotivated or deterred her from what she was called to do. Maybe she would have have had second thoughts about extending herself in this way. But the reality is, and this is a reality check for all of us, no matter what you do or no matter what you don't do, someone will probably have something to say about it. (laughs) And someone did have something to say, and this was Judas. And Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, was with them, and he, of course, would later betray Jesus. And he goes on to say, picking up at verse 5, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Verse 7, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And the message uh, interpretation in verse 7, she's anticipating and honoring the day of my burial. In strong was her faith, women of the New Testament, J. Ellsworth Callis writes these words. Money, if you have it, is the least form of extravagance because as they say, there's always more where that came from. But when you give yourself away, that's quite another matter. Mary began to wipe Jesus's feet with her hair. It was an act of such complete self-abandonment that it would mark her in the community for the rest of her life. They would never mention her name again without a reference by story, by gesture, or by innuendo to this day. Mary's gift of perfume was large, but not to be compared with the gift of herself. And I wonder how Jesus felt after this encounter. I wonder if it eased any anxiety he may have been feeling about the religious leaders plotting against him. I wonder if it gave him relief that Mary extended herself in this way, given what was to come. It must have made a profound impact because in Mark 14 and 9, it says, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be also be told in memory of her. So she has gone down in in her story or history for this act, for stepping out of the norm, for doing something different, for doing something unintended, for being focused, or for doing something unexpected. It's been said well-behaved women rarely make history. 
And so many of us, <laughs> we don't have to be well-behaved. We can do different things in order to have an impact and possibly make history. One of the days and awareness months that's overshadowed by Women's History Month or Herstory Month is Disability Awareness Month. And there is a very, very special woman who courageously defied the status quo. And her name is Judy Human. And she allowed two social identities, which are points of oppression, her gender as a woman and her ability as someone who identified as disabled. She, in the midst of all of that, became a disability rights pioneer and advocate and the mother of the disability rights movement. She actually passed away this month, a few weeks ago, on March 4th. She was a seminal figure in national and international disability rights movements who famously sued, where are my New York City public school teachers at? The New York City Board of Education and became the school's first systems, school system's first teacher who used a wheelchair. Her work and her advocacy throughout her lifetime paved the way for landmark legislation, including the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Individuals with Disabilities Act. And she, when she received her praise and accolades and commendations, she went on to say these words. Some people say that what I did changed the world, she once said. But really, I simply refused to accept what I was told about who I could be. And I was willing to make a fuss about it. As we continue to work together to build a more inclusive and just society, I am grateful for this incredible example that Judy Human provided to us and to the world. We share this story today in memory of Judy Human. We share today's message in memory of Mary. What can Mary's measure of self-confidence look like for ourselves and how can it impact the lives of others? What about the life of Judy Human? What if every time we acknowledge someone's humanity or encourage someone, it would help fortify them to do or say something they never dreamed they would. Perhaps it could counter the negativity that sometimes festers within us. Perhaps it would help them feel compassion for themselves, which would ultimately extend to others. I wonder if Mary's friendship with Jesus and all that she had experienced with Jesus, whether it was at the feet of Jesus or whether it was on the periphery, I wonder if all of that gave her a sense of confidence and encouragement. It takes confidence and courage to break out of your comfort zone, to break out of whatever is restricting us or holding us back. Since we've come out of the pandemic, it's been a whole new world, amen? This global event has impacted our economy, our mental health, our students, the healthcare system, our children, the church. 
our church. The story of the great loss that our world experienced during the pandemic has really yet to be told. But there's another story, a story of reassessing our lives, a story of more family time, a story of increased focus on mental health. In many instances, we've had to confidently and courageously reprioritize what really matters in our lives. The hope is this will lead us to more love, to more life, to more connection, to more confidence in ourselves and in others. This cultivation can come through a small group. As we meet someone new, as we hear new stories about our fellow forefronters, as we become close friends, confidence is defined as this, a feeling of self-assurance arising from one's appreciation of one's own abilities or qualities. Be confident enough to appreciate who you are and to give of yourself because there are people that need to be healed and uplifted and you might be the one person to touch a particular person. And when you give of yourself, I encourage you to stand back and receive your accolades, to stand back and receive your praise so that you can give of yourself today and the next day and the next day. And don't forget to get your rest in the process. Speaking of rest, I hope everyone joins us for community rest next Saturday at the MoMA, Museum of Modern Art. And this event is not just for people of color. We are encouraging white folks to sleep and rest in solidarity with people of color. Now here's what the MoMA has to say about this installation. Rest is a luxury for many. Black people in the United States are twice as likely to get insufficient sleep compared with white people. This sleep gap, identified by researchers, is worse for those who are undocumented, disabled, or at a lower income level. Black Power Naps is a project by artists Navlid Acosta and Sosa that responds to these conditions and asks, how can we dream when we don't sleep? The artists trace our culture of constant fatigue back to the use of sleep deprivation to control enslaved people in the US. They actively reject this legacy and claim power in rest, inviting you to imagine a world in which leisure, downtime, and quality sleep are available to all. God's strength and God's power and God's spirit, which is able to work in us each and every day, is available to all. We can have lavish love for ourselves and for others. We can accept praise and express gratitude for compliments as opposed to shrinking away from them. This is springtime, and it's a good reminder that God is always in the process of creating something new. Amen? 
through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can let go of self-deprecation and insecurity, and we can receive compliments as we cultivate confidence and lavish love for ourselves and others. I doubt anyone around that table could have done what Mary did because it was her call. It was her assignment. It was on her heart to do that. And we, to this day, are giving Mary praise. How many of you like to journal? I like to journal. And my husband Todd and I were recently talking about all the journals that we have and how they'll just be there, right, when we pass away. And I went on to tell Todd, you know, I, I hope someone takes my journals and maybe they'll put them in a museum and maybe people will read them and maybe they'll be encouraged by them. And maybe they'll be sharing some of my stories from generation to generation. So I encourage you to think about your gifts, think about your skills, and to connect with confidence and lavishly loving all who God made you to be. And think about the impact you're having now and how these stories may be told from generation to generation because of the touch that you were able to give to someone else. Church family, I encourage all of us to continue to cultivate that lavish love in ourselves and be sure to give it to others. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.